0: you mm. Verse 11, And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony, and here is your host, Rod Butler. Hello listeners, thank you for joining me on the program today. It is a delight to have you company and tuning in and listening to the program. I have with me in the studio today two very interesting people, Ben and Olivia Olson, Welcome, Ben. Welcome, Olivia. Welcome. Good afternoon. Ben and Olivia are South Africans who came to Australia in 2013, but not from South Africa. They came from New Zealand. And Olivia was teaching and Ben was a successful product manager in the pharmaceutical industry. Both are committed Christians and were at their peak in their productive working careers when their world changed dramatically in 2021. We're going to hear about that change, what led up to it and how they came through it. But before we start with our conversation, we're going to pray. Gracious Father, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity to share our testimonies. We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide our discussion. May you be uplifted. With all honour and glory to you, we pray in
1: Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Now to start with, Ben, you've got a text you would like to share with us.
1: Yeah. My favourite text, uh, I believe in the Bible, is John 14, 1, two, 3. It has so many promises. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, um, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And why is that special for you, Ben? The reason why that is special to me is because that's a promise from Jesus Christ. Mm. The creator God has promised that he's going to come and get me or come and get us. So that's very special to me. That's words from Christ to, um, to satisfy my, my curiosity, my belief, and my hold on him. Is That's where it's grounded.
2: Mm.
0: Very powerful. Thank you. Well, let's let's get into our discussion on, on you guys. Um, what are you both doing now?
1: Well, we started a um, letterbox ministry. We uh, bought a caravan, some bikes, and we letterbox um, just before we went out. We also had an opportunity to uh, work with uh, incredible journey. So we work in the outback. Uh, to letterbox people's homes To introduce them to Jesus Christ uh, Through their ministry And uh, through leaflets uh, Because God says uh, well, uh, That uh, the people Needs to be reached um, Possibly even the Unreachable uh, Maybe through a letter Notes or an ad That they will respond to So that's what we're doing at the moment Now just, just an
0: obvious uh, Comment here a letterboxing ministry in the outback, that implies you're doing a lot of walking. <laughs> can you explain what the setup is, uh, how you're actually letterboxing outback homes?
1: All right. So we, um, we basically take the caravan to Caravan Park and then we take the e-bikes and pull um, the backpack and uh, letterbox as fast as we can.
0: Okay. So you've got electric bikes? Yeah. And how long have you been doing this?
2: We just started in end of June, July. Mm. Yeah, June, July. June, June, July. Oh, very good.
1: Yeah. We had a practice run in April for a couple of weeks. It was raining a lot and um,
0: flooding. Yeah,
1: and flooding. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so we've had the first two months.
0: So being on e-bikes, I'm sure, Olivia, you would enjoy uh, encountering the local dogs
2: oh, as yes. they came out to greet you. Oh, yes. And I had one encounter nearly bit me, but God helped <laughs> Yes.
0: Oh, that's very good, very good. And um, how long do you think you for? How much more time will you be doing this ministry?
1: Well, I believe Jesus is coming soon, so we believe that it will be for until He's coming, and we need to uh, focus on where there's no church and where the people have no access to to their um, local churches.
0: Okay. So it's really reaching those folk that aren't sort of in the mainstream.
2: Yeah, we try to reach the areas where there's no Seven day no Adventist churches.
0: And that would give those folk an opportunity of being up to date with information. That's correct. Very important. How are you enjoying that? Loving it. How do you find meeting the, the country folk compared to maybe the city folk?
2: Well, they're very friendly.
0: I think a lot more open, more time. More time to talk yeah.
1: More time to talk
0: Yeah Very good Well let's let's go back to talk about you Your early days Tell us about your your family life Your beginnings What was family And where was family for you?
1: Well I grew up with a family of five uh, Mum and dad was baptised um, And I was basically born in the church So we had five uh, Two brothers and two sisters And um, church life is all I knew um, and then school. So we went fishing, we went swimming in the sea and we enjoyed uh, everything that kids enjoy. And um, yeah, it was always a, a pleasure to be out and about. We enjoyed the sea a lot.
0: And what about you, Olivia?
2: Um, well, I have um two brothers um two cousins and a sister and we grew up like brothers and sisters. So most of our time um we just spend it out um climbing mountains and swimming in the river and um playing a lot of group games and stuff. And um, yeah, my parents um my dad was not Seven Day Adventist but yeah, after all these years, my grandmother's um, prayer was answered and he's baptized at Seventh Adventist. And, yeah, so our childhood um, life was interesting.
0: So when you say you were, you were brought up in the church, how many generations of Adventists uh, are you? I mean, was your father?
1: In- oh, no. No, he was Dutch Reformed. They were Dutch Reformed. Okay. And came from a Sunday-keeping church to uh, read the Great Controversy. Right. And through, through the window a few times. Uh, it took him three years before he became a 7th Adventist.
0: So religion growing up was a big part of your lives.
1: Hmm.
0: And what was your understanding of God as, as young people growing up? What was your concept of God?
1: I think my first memory of the concept of God is when I attended the um, Daniel and Revelation Seminar And I saw how Daniel purposed in his heart. And that appealed to me. It was a purpose in his heart. And um, so my perception has always been since that time that we need to be ever ready for Jesus to come. And what about you, Olivia?
2: Um well, um my mother was expecting me when she was baptized. So and from a very young early age I just love um going out with them to um prayer meetings. I remember one evening we were visiting um and we wanted to go to a prayer meeting and my mum said, No, you've got to stay with some of the people from church and or well, their children will look after us and um I was really upset because I really wanted to go to church with them. And um my grandpa, he used to um, do um, Bible studies for, for people in the neighborhood and, and so on. And um, he always, uh, always accompany him. And we'll, I'll turn the slides for him so that um, while he's helping the people and teaching them. And stuff. So I just loved it from a young age and believe that God is coming and, um, yeah, still waiting for him.
0: It's interesting because when you speak to a lot of young people, Who've been brought up in a church, it just becomes a lifestyle. But from what I'm hearing from you, um, it was more than a lifestyle. You had a had your own relationship with God, and uh, it was meaningful.
2: I would, for instance, I would wake up early in the morning before my parents awake. And I'll open up the back door quietly, take a chair outside and sit outside with the hamburg and sing to God. Wow. And then um, read a passage and then slowly, slowly go back into the house so that don't wake anybody up. Yeah, so I I enjoyed it. Walking down the – when I visit my aunt on the farm, I'll be walking down the farm at sunset and just sing and do
0: So you were raised on a farm?
2: No, not really on a farm. My aunt had a farm. Okay. So every weekend we'll be – Visiting them and um, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: And what about uh, were you involved in the local church? Uh, what
1: sort of things were you doing there? Yes, we were always always at church. Um, I can remember, I, I can remember, you know, doing um, pathfinders and. Um, Doing, uh, doing what we supposed to do—go out to old age homes and sing to the older folk—and uh, that was part of the badges that we had to um, to earn. And uh, yeah, we, we were always involved in church um, from a young age. Mm.
0: Now, I want to talk to you about schooling. You grew up and went to school in a very interesting part of South Africa's history. It was the apartheid era. Tell us what was it like going to. Uh, Primary school, as Protestants in uh, apartheid Protestant South Africa. I, I assume it was Dutch Reform.
1: Yeah, mostly Dutch Reform. Uh, I was never in a church school. I was always in um, uh, in a state school. Uh, so the challenges at a young age you're not really aware of, but as you grow older and you become a lot more aware of the um, unwritten rules. Uh, it is actually quite interesting and quite um, uh, difficult uh, at some, some stages in your life, uh, challenged by teachers and uh, school friends uh, to compromise on your principles, especially the Sabbath.
0: And with respect to schooling, you were not just Protestants, you were Seventh-day Adventists in a Protestant school. Yep. Explain to me that dynamic. What sort of challenges did you have there?
2: Um, I can tell um, one incident. Um as a seven day adventist um, I just love the uh, missionary stories. And um I had to do a speech at school, I think it was in a year that was my third year in school, primary, and um I asked one of the ladies at church if I could have um some of the felt sets of the missionary um set settings and so on and um, she said, Yes, that's fine as long as I look after them. So I went to school and um so, yeah, my teacher said it's my turn to speak about what I want to be when I'm grown up. And I said I would like to be a missionary. And so I had some of the little huts and little black children pictures and stuff and so on 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 the blackboard. They sort of helped me with the felt and just stick it on with um sellotape and stuff. And everybody was like, oh no you should do something better you can't work amongst um, them and so on and, and then I realised that um, there's a difference but I never, because we've raised like Jesus loves yellow, black, green and blue, mm-hmm. all the children of the world and stuff so I had that in my heart as a young kid so I didn't have, we were not raised with any political um, thoughts and so on
0: was there, was there political thoughts with the other kids?
1: When again, okay, I may have been quite ignorant uh, about those facts, um, because I was raised at seventeen. Most of my time was spending with church and church family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, the school discussions, and because uh, I don't think the school was a pro- place where they pro- propagandised the the children. Was more when, after you left school in the army, where a lot of that has taken place. Okay,
0: yeah. Now- Tell us about you became baptised. When was that?
2: I was around 12 years of um, age. And um, my grandfather said um, I should be baptised. And I said, oh, I really don't know if I want to be because um, I was very shy. So he said, um, but I knew all my Bible principles and what we believe and so on and um, he said okay my cousins is going to be baptised as well my sisters will be baptised so uh, we all were baptised at the same day and that sort of gave me a little bit of courage to be baptised and, um, and yes I can understand that how God wants us to because the Holy Spirit from then on works in your heart you can hear the voice of God speaking to you
1: I decided to be baptized when I was ready. So I, w- I was baptized when I was about 17, and I knew what what it was that I was baptized into. Mm-hmm. I took it very serious. My dad always made it very plain to us that it's a very serious subject matter and that you can't just be baptized just because there's a group baptism and that you need to have that relationship with God. So at the age of 17, um, that would be year... 11, I decided to be baptised. Okay.
0: Well, you left school. Tell us about working, uh, life in South Africa. What did you end up doing?
1: Well, because of the compulsory um, military service, uh, all the white males had to enlist in the army unless you go further in your studies um, to study whatever you want to study. Um, at that stage, uh, I didn't have the money to... Um, to go and study theology, so I went into the uh, to the army, and the church had an agreement with the um, with the state to send all the Seventh Day Adventist boys into the medical corps. So I was a medic in the army for two years.
0: And did you see? Uh, did you have to use
1: your medical skills? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us about some of those uh, oh, yeah! Look, you, you, they train you for three months, basic, and then they teach you anatomy, physiology, and stitching, and, and then they send you out uh, with a group of um, patrolmen, and you had to be the medic, and people come up with all kinds of um, uh, injuries uh, that you had to nurse, and... Um, they would later on send you to one military hospital where you learn all kinds of trauma in the um, the emergency department so doing stitches of stab wounds and uh, bullet wounds and um, uh, yeah there was quite a few horrific events and you see people die on the table with heart attacks and the doctors uh, scrambling to keep the person alive just to hear he was general so and so general so and so yeah, so we saw a lot of that. And this
0: was in, again, this was uh, in the apartheid era, wasn't it? Towards yeah. the end of that, would it be getting the late 80s? That, that, that's right. In the mid 80s, uh, I went into the military service. Mm. And what about you, Olivia? What was your uh, venturing into the workforce?
2: my um, I, I mean my mum used to work years ago she used to work um doing fingerprint analysis and then so i sort of ended up um with the department wrote an exam and i passed my exam so they said okay yes so i was employed um assisting some of the department's uh, police force um they'll find aliens in in the city they do not have passports and they'll take the fingerprints and then we've got to look for if there's any match of the fingerprints and if there's not um then they get jailed or sent back to where they came from. So I've done that for a while and then decided to go for study and I finish up at draft schools and I end up in a company doing drafting for a roofing company and um, did a few projects. I had to calculate how many screws, bolts, um, what type of flashings, what type of things, draw drawings for architects. And that was basically what I did. And then I had my children...
0: Wow, okay. Well, let's get on to that. You're in the army, you're working, and eventually you guys met each other.
1: Tell us about how you first met. Yeah, we, my brother got married, and um, we were introduced uh, to each other uh, at, the, at the wedding. And uh, it was, they said yeah. a blind date, but... <laughs> Did you catch the bouquet? Uh,
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't go for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we met um, in, uh, while I was still in the army. And um, after I left the army, I started a course in, um, in what they call tool making. So I finished that after two, two and a half years. And uh, during that time, we got married. Uh, so that would be about 1989. Eight, 89. 89. 89.
0: Mm, okay. And again, this is quite an interesting time in South African history. What was it like uh, being married and living in South Africa at the time?
1: Well, um, you know, what? because we were not not politically motivated or charged, uh, we were quite oblivious to the political moves and also the I guess the sadness that people lived in um, Under the control of the government mm-hmm. um, So we were oblivious to to that uh, And we did not see them uh, uh, Between them and us uh, We saw people as children of God Or the potential to become children of God And um, it was sad Yes, uh, absolutely But it was a rule um, The apartheid was the apartheid And you can't do anything about it
0: it's interesting, in the, in the early 1990s, um, I ended up working with um, a number of people who left South Africa, engineers who left because they saw their career opportunities had disappeared overnight mm-hmm. because of the affirmative action that was taken to um, put the, the black people into the managerial roles. And some of them had lived in gated communities and they had safety concerns. Mm-hmm. I 'm not sort of trying to malign anyone, but I'm just saying this is a fact i these are people I work with, and they came to Australia they loved coming to Australia, but they they largely left because they felt unsafe uh, in in their communities now admittedly they were living around Johannesburg, which mm. I'm told was yeah. a fairly difficult yeah. area to live mm. did that did anything like that impact you in your uh, your early days
2: okay one um one day I, I was about to go to work but um I asked my boss if I can have a day off. Um and she said, Yes, you can take a day off because I wanted to buy some pot plants and stuff for my my office and stuff and um it was really hard to take it um by bus and um so I asked Ben, Can you drop me off? Um because he also had a day off and he asked me to drop him off if he can drop me off at my company. And um he said, Okay, that's fine. So he parked on Church Street and um there was sort of like an alleyway you can about go from the main entrance or you go down the alley um, past um like a cafe type of setup and um and then you go into either the service elevator or the main sections the elevators and um i decided oh, i'll go up the service because i don't want to get um hogged down with uh, my cousin uh, with my people um or my colleagues and stuff and um so I went up and put it in my my pop and I sort of and someone was in the office talking and I sort of just looked around the corner and said hi and I said is everybody here no 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 they've gone to the tea rooms and I decided okay I'll just go down the main um, exit so I went down to the main elevators went down And for that moment, I thought, shall I go down the alleyway? No, I'll just go down to the front and just walk down to where Ben was parked. And as we went down...
1: As she closed the door, mm -hmm. a bomb went off. Oh, really?
2: Yeah.
1: Where she walked past...
2: Just before I went...
1: Moments before.
2: Before I went uh, in, I walked past it. And when I came back, I thought, I'll just go down that way, and I thought, oh, no, just I'll just go straight ahead and go down that way. Um,
1: so we basically calculated if she's gone uh, the taken the service elevator back to where I was waiting for her, she would have gone past the alleyway where uh, uh, she would have been stopped by people uh, from the office, and then the delay would have had her passing the bomb. Uh, site, um, and and she would have she would have not been
2: injured or oh, I don't know what um, I don't know what extent it was and oh, no. the thing is I've never went back to read about it on the news or in the newspaper because I was just like oh I'm so lucky and then I realised um, like years later that how oh God is actually predicted more in that sense because you didn't we didn't really think of bomb explosions and stuff even though it was a crime a criminal element. But um, we didn't really have um, that um, inclination, you know, of are um, oh, these terrorist attacks? Well,
1: that total awareness of that might happen to us. Mm. Mm. But yeah, when when I heard it, I said it's a bomb. Close the door, and we made a U-turn, and we and we left the other side very quickly because we knew every, everything's going to be chaos mm. after that. Mm. But that was definitely a awareness. Of the mm. the issues of unsafety, it's it started. What about safety at home? Did you feel any when you were actually at home? No. Early on, no, but later on, absolutely. When the changes happened, absolutely. Um, uh, myself being on the road as a as a as a salesperson, um, definitely the hijackings it definitely was the front and centre of her mind and my mind. So, so
0: tell us then, what was the the trigger to actually make you decide you wanted to leave South Africa? Was there was there an event, or was it just a culmination of a lot of yeah. things happening?
2: We were in the car one day. Um, or, ben was on his country trip, and Kyle, my son, and my daughter were sitting in the car, and um, I heard them saying to each other. Um, you you look that way and I'll look the other way and um, we'll tell mum if somebody's coming. And I sort of ask them, um, what are you talking about? And I just in case they want to hijack our car and then I realise that children shouldn't be um, so, um, you know, brought up an environment that they sort of um, scare and where they live.
1: So when you realise your children are being impacted by... Yes, yes, that was that was one of the major events. We okay. we did live on a farm, and um, they we went uh, to visit friends on a Sabbath, and as you do on a Sabbath evening, uh, the children play and play until and mum. We don't want to go home, and and we stayed for tea. And uh, later on, we we went home, and when we got home, the whole house was stripped empty. Wow! And everything was gone except a couple of the couches my, and the dining room and apparently they didn't they showed no interest in dresses <laughs> so um so they cleaned up the, the children's room um all our clothes and um and everything else so we had as if you just moved in with the first pieces of furniture in a new home
0: yeah and i guess you felt that going to the police may not have been effective
1: oh you know? at that stage in 1998, thir- uh, mm. um Already then, the signs were there. They it, can't.
2: They can't do anything about do it. Anything. So yeah. it's who indicates. So going to get.
1: you'd
0: you'd repopulate your house with furniture, and it could go again. And edit. Oh really?
1: Yeah. yeah. So people just come in and help themselves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you decided to to leave. Now it's interesting. You chose to leave, and you chose to go to New Zealand. Why New Zealand? Not that there's anything wrong with New Zealand, I'm just curious, why did you choose New Zealand?
2: One of our friends, um, they initially wanted to go to America and we sort of met them on the bridge um, um, close to our place and Ben was talking to him about it. I haven't seen them for quite some time and then um, he said, oh, we, we're thinking of going to America so Ben said, oh, I, that's interesting. And then the thoughts came, oh, maybe we should go. And then eventually they didn't go to America. And they said, oh, we're going to New Zealand. And I said, oh, where is New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I sort of started reading up about it. And I said, no, nope, volcanoes, no way. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, at the end of yeah, the place that we moved to.
1: Yeah, America was where everybody wanted to go when they leave South Africa or the UK. And we tried to go, and um, fortunately didn't happen, and don't need to go into that story. But um, God provided for us a way to get to New Zealand and make a better living, a future living for us and the, and the children. So
0: tell us, was it hard finding work? This would have been the what? 2002? Two thousand two thousand two. Was it hard finding work? What did you end up doing?
2: Yeah, it was. Um, it was hard because most of the companies that he wanted to apply for um, was working on Sabbath, and um, they would say for second interview, yes, so we want you. Is not there a way that you can work on Sabbaths and so on? And Ben would say, unfortunately. No, so, but eventually God was good and he gave us an opportunity to get work.
1: Yeah, God opened up a up way and I had to do something in the trade rather than in my experience. and um, So we did that for until the time that we received permanent residence and then I was able to apply for a position. And then a position became available with a small upcoming little company and uh, I joined them.
0: So tell us about New Zealand. What was your impressions and where did you live and what was housing like? Mm. Yeah, we loved it. Um, it's, I can, ho-
2: it's, still it's, <laughs> it's still home. If I can go home today, I'll go back.
0: <laughs> well, there's a good plug for New
1: Zealand. Yeah, yeah. so we, uh, we actually uh, came to uh, New Zealand in 2002 in, in August. So the first three months was, um, it was like, being on holiday all the time. But, yes, looking for work and so on. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was it was really difficult because we had a little situation. I was uh, living with people that I helped build a home for and um, only a three-bedroom, uh, very small, but they took us in for a couple of weeks. But the situation, their children's rooms inside, it wasn't that helpful, but they, it was a great help. And... Um, we really we really were praying um, and asking the Lord to help us out here because there was nothing available for the money that we received. And uh, I think you can tell the rest.
2: Yeah, so uh, my cousin's um, brother-in-law, he came over to New Zealand as well. They've moved as well. And they said, how about we get a place together? So um, we said, okay, that's fine because they do have houses with one bedroom or one kitchen that you share but um, they've got two separate levels and they said they'll live in the bottom level and we look, live in the house part and now we said okay let's go and so we went out the day all over the place, couldn't find a place and then um, we came home and Ben said oh let's just go get um, undress and get him, you know, slacks and so on so we went um, to the bedroom and we had a prayer and we asked God um, for help to find a place and we went to the living room where this lady was, um, our friends were sitting. And she said, she's been through the whole paper, there's nothing there's available. Nothing available, nothing. But every week on Monday, the new um, paper comes out for the week, so next Monday. And at that moment, she, she folded the paper and then the phone rang. And um, so
1: I, s- I stayed in a, for the first two weeks, I, was, uh, I stayed in a homestay. And somebody uh, that had a home, um, went to the home state to look for somebody to look after their place while well, they're going to be uh, uh, overseas for six months because the person that they had uh, arranged with didn't or couldn't do that anymore. So he was going to his contact. So they and they knew we were looking for a place and um, they contacted us and we met the couple and it was an absolute answer to prayer. It still sends a chill up my spine, really, because it was a fully furnished home. We 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 didn't have we sold everything in South Africa, so when we got to uh, New Zealand, we didn't have much except the suitcases. So it was a fully furnished three bedroom home, and we stayed there, uh, agreed to it for uh, for six months, and it was half the price of a normal home. So we only paid one hundred and fifty dollars. 120 One hundred and twenty um, a week for a fully furnished three-bedroom home overlooking Browns Bay where the whole America's Cup yacht race was taking place.
2: And it included the water, electricity and the phone, it's except for phoning overseas um, that yeah. we've got to pay so, and internet and everything. Yeah. So it's just fully furnished. There's nothing that we are to do. Mm. So that
1: was an amazing answer to prayer. mm, Praise God. um, That still, uh, you you just, how God answers
0: prayers is just amazing. So not only was there no rentals available, like it was a really tight market, but God gives you a beautiful place, waterfront views, uh, half the price. It's amazing. Fully furnished. It's amazing. And, what more could you ask for?
2: And then he, you can't. And then God extended it for another three months. So in yes. all, we were there for nine months. And just after, we, um, then we received our permanent, permanent residence. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs>
1: well, I think you've been spoiled on that one. Oh, um, well, i tell you but what. But even it's, in
2: South Africa, we were the same thing,
1: eh? Yeah, it, it's definitely an answer to prayer. And it's just, it brings tears to our eyes when we think about it. Mm-hmm.
2: God has always answered our prayer when it came to housing.
1: Now during this time, Olivia, you were
0: homeschooling the children. Yes,
2: I was homeschooling. Um, the children were in the school for about a month, I think. Two months, three months. Maybe two months, three months. But um, because in South Africa they they don't go to school at four or five years of or five years of age. Um, normally, the children go six, six, seven. So the children in New Zealand was already way ahead with their English language. And in South Africa, you start about your second or third year with your first English words and stuff because they first won a foundation in your Afrikaans. So I thought, oh, this would be too hard for them. So I pulled them and I started giving them Africa, um English lessons and stuff and follow um, syllabus um, from ACE. And yes, and then we just carried on from there and they just loved it.
0: Mm, very good, Anne. And Ben,
1: you got into the pharmaceutical industry.
0: Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so uh, once we received permanent residence, um, I put my CV out again into the marketplace, and there was one specific uh, company that worked with uh, pharmaceutical salespeople, and they had a job um, advertised uh, with a small company that uh, a new startup, and um, I was basically the second person taking um, taking over that territory. So yeah, I was given an opportunity and uh, the discussion around the Sabbath was also discussed and uh, at that stage the boss saw that um, it was um, agreeable and uh, yeah, so I started working as a salesperson. That's, uh, that is what I've done in South Africa for mm. about 10 years as well. And, um, and what exactly were you doing in the pharmaceutical industry uh, oh, in that job? Oh, we were selling to uh, different products to pharmacists. So training, uh, training people into understanding the products, uh, which patient groups to target, and why this product is better than the other, and um, yeah, and he just developed more and more products, uh, brought them over from different countries, and he um, he was very, very, um, shall I say, astute in his product choices. Where there was gaps in the market. So you're referring to the owner of the company. The owner of the company. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And um, yeah, so and that just grew from five, six products to a plethora of products, really. So yeah, so I was, uh, worked there for him for basically nearly nearly nine years uh, until we came to Australia.
0: Okay, so in that time, your products were very successful.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, Uh, absolutely successful uh, interesting products, uh, niche products but it grew in that niche Mm. um, as product number one uh, in three categories, four categories and uh, so they they were as we call it the rats and mice the smaller products that didn't make a lot of money but there was other products that did make a lot of money Mm. and um, it just grew from there. He Mm. expanded his company in uh, in Australia and um, yeah so it for New Zealand stand as a very, very successful company.
0: Now, I'm finding this interesting because you love New Zealand, and Olivia just said she'd go back tomorrow if she had the chance. Mm-hmm. Why on earth then did you come to Australia? What, what triggered or motivated you to come to Australia? Oh, I was a bit bored with a job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted something new, and there was nothing in, in New Zealand uh, to, I guess, uh, progress my career and uh, because the company's developed a position over here, they've asked me to come to Australia And how did you convince Olivia? I didn't, (laughs) her her mum did (laughs) follow your husband (laughs) so I did ask permission to to the in-laws that uh, by then also joined us in New Zealand Mm. also migrated and I gave them the scenario of the position that was available for me in in Australia and they said I need to follow my heart and uh, That's what we did. So tell me about that change, though.
0: You would have put that to prayer as well. How did God intervene in your life to make it clear you needed to come to Australia?
2: I think um, at that stage, um, I think it's just um, thinking of something else, um, like another country, uh, warm, heat, but then we came to Australia. It had a heat wave, <laughs> 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 and I said, "Have I think we should get back onto the plane and go back."
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you do pray about um, decisions that is placed in front of you. Because um, this uns- is a, for, for most people, this is where
0: often they pray, "Lord, which direction do you want me to take?" But they don't hear any answer. And you speak to a lot of people. This is the great dilemma of their life. What does God want me to do? Where does God want me to be? Mm. And now, this is a big change for you, Ben. So, I'm just curious to know how that yeah, played out.
1: In the start, the um, the the newness of a new country it was it was not the was not the drawing card because changing is huge. Um, Financially, it's a huge step, mm. but I guess, a bit backwards because you spend money on, on things that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, so, yeah, it it does take prayer. And at some stage, you just feel that at, at ease or at peace with a decision should you go. And, yes, you don't have all the answers, but God will provide. God is good, and God will see us through.
0: Okay. So you, you did make the change. You came across to to Australia. Mm-hmm. You moved into New South Wales.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How did you find life in Australia? How, I mean, what, was there a big change?
2: Yes, temperature-wise. Yes. Temperature
0: wise. Uh, yes. <laughs> what about extreme. what about attitudes of people and uh, lifestyle? Was there any difference Very there?
2: Very fast-paced. New Zealand is like, um, everything will be done next week. It'll be sweet. <laughs> so you don't need to worry about you know, it's that fast pace in Australia it's like it should have been done yesterday So, but um, the people in general is also very friendly but New Zealanders I think it's
1: yeah I, I had an internal move so again working around the people um, I already knew uh, was friendly very well accepted and yeah the uh, business was um, uh, booming as they say and uh, I found the the, the not a huge culture shock uh, for me from mm. South Africa to New Zealand to Australia, very, very very similar in a lot of ways.
0: So look, what I'm hearing here, I'm hearing that you've you've migrated to New Zealand, you've got into a certain industry, you've done very well in that industry. Mm. you've then migrated to Australia as part of the the, the, the job and uh, an internal move with the company. so you've obviously been well thought of by the management. You've done well in Australia, and then we have 2020. We have COVID hits in 2020. And I want to talk now about how that impacted your industry because um, we all know eventually vaccines came out. Talk us through um, what it was like being in that industry with what was happening at the time.
1: I would say in early October we received an email that there was a a timeline set for us to go through the process of first second uh, uh, jabs and uh, I looked at it and said, <laughs> "I can't do this because many years ago in South Africa I did take a flu vaccine and for four days I was basically out of it in a hospital and it was the only thing that I took in in terms of pharmaceuticals and uh, after uh, they signed me off out of the hospital my wife said to me that uh, the doctor said that you'd nearly die twice they they could hardly pull you through Mm. so we decided then okay we're not going to do this so even working for a pharmaceutical company which I got the Mm. flu vaccine from um Said, okay, this is not happening again. So, when this came through, that was the first thought in my mind. Well, we've made this promise to each other. Uh, I'm not going to do this. So, first thought, no, nah, it's not going to happen. So, I, but I kept it quiet. But uh, we would ask and pressed. And um, yeah, uh, to make a long story short, uh, we were asked to, uh, to make the decision to, and if not, we need to get an exemption. I had to go through that process to try to get an exemption. Uh, obviously, no, nobody really received any reason for exemptions. And, um, and then I was pressed to, am I going to get it or, or am I going to stick to what I believe in is right for me, for my health? And then the, um, the decision was made
0: okay well hold that thought Olivia over to you what was your situation you were teaching at this stage weren't you um,
2: I was doing I do um, after school and before school care Yeah. so I had my own service and then um, sort of really enjoyed it but right through the whole COVID period I was working um, with the children and stuff and um, nobody got sick but um, after the career and they'd ask for the mandate my manager approached me and she said um, cause she knew me that i'm really into not eating certain things not drinking certain things and so she said i bet you're not going to get the vaccine i said yes she said i don't even have to ask you said because um you're very health conscientious i said yes um i said but mine was more on um, because my, my body is a temple of god and um I don't want to take any harmful substance in that nobody has any um, knowledge of what it will have, um, effect it will have in the long run. So when she said, oh, no, that's good. And um, so I had my interview with them and so they had a chat with me and HR said, okay, oh, yeah, that's fine. And they also ask me if I want to come back later on if this is over and stuff. I'm welcome to come in. And um, so, yeah and then I lost my job as well.
0: So both of you, I mean, for different reasons. I mean, I know, Ben, you probably had the same view from a theological perspective, but your main motivation was you'd nearly died previously from a flu jab and you didn't want to take that chance. And I believe, from what I've been told, that if you get an
1: exemption, they they want to test you with the the substance initially, which that's that's right. So they they test it on the skin. If you don't get an irritation, they put it under the skin. So which is similar to yeah uh, to to injection. And I uh, so when the subject matter came up with regards to how they do it, I said, look, I I just can't do it. That was uh, late in November. Early December, so they started the process of first, second, and third um, letter of warning. Uh, mm. And uh, the, the new company that I started to work for, uh, they they were very patient with the process. They didn't want to lose me because they just brought me over from the company that I've uh, 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 that I then resigned from in June. So July they. I, I received this uh, new position. So they were very patient with me, but um, they had to persist because they had a mandate from overseas, head office to um, all the 26,000 employees must be, must be um, vaccinated. Double vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't go through that process. So th- they followed the HR rules.
0: Okay. So when you look at the situation now, you've your whole career has just been truncated stopped Mm. you've Olivia you've had to stop doing what you love doing tell me the the mindset how did you cope with the fact that I mean you would have had bills and debts and well maybe not debts but you would have bills and things and suddenly your income's being turned off because of a decision you've made on liberty of conscience talk us through that
2: Well, we um before when COVID started we thought um the income that we still have, we should pay and clear all our debt as fast as possible, so we really work really hard at it and um, pull in pull it in a bit and we paid oh, off most of our t- most of our debt. I think we had one thing that we were still doing. Um, and then what's so interesting about how God prepares a mind, we sort of like, I've still got his job, I've lost mine, so we can still keep the house. But if we've got all our other debt, um, the house is still an asset. So, um, and if we wanted to move, we always wanted to be back out in the country. And we sort of like decided, um, okay, we'll, uh, if need be, in the future we'll look for a place so we can sell and so on. And then he lost his job, so God was slowly preparing us for the sale of our own house too.
1: Yeah. So, so by October we realised where this this was going. The debt was uh, all our debt was paid at that stage, but we obviously had the house uh, that wasn't paid off because it was only five years old, and um, and we realised uh, we'd rather sell it. And we asked a very special friend, a very special friend, to um, it's now become a very special mm-hmm. friend, uh, come in, did the whole process for us, and um, and I just thank thank the Lord for again providing for our needs before we even asked, and um, we prayed for solutions, but we did not know where the solutions was going to come from, but we knew that the house needed to be sold uh, because I was not big able to. To get a job that easy, but we also decided we've we've worked for the world and for ourselves for thirty years plus. Why not do a gap year <laughs> and do something for the Lord and 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 letterbox or or, or do some ministry? And that's where the thought was. Uh, I started generating in our minds that we'll we'll make ourselves free from. Uh, this world's earnings, and we'll ask the Lord to to help and provide so we can work for him.
0: I guess the thing that uh, really staggers me is that most people would be, um, I guess, when it came to do I take the jab or not, if it means I've got to sell my house or lose my job, the pressure of those decisions, most people would probably say oh well it's only only a vaccination what's the issue, mm. but in your case, it was such an important liberty
1: of conscience issue that you absolutely you, you sold every you gave up everything absolutely um, there was a, for us there was no choice there was no choice i think once you 've gone as a couple through the experience of and you see and you look into each other's eyes and I, I've nearly lost you when the children was uh, very young. Mm. Don't do that to me again or yeah. uh, look after yourself. Yes, it, 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 I, oh, it's just a jab. It's not as simple as I oh, just take it and hope, hopefully it will go right. So you made that decision. You sold the house.
0: Uh, so now you've got, a, um, I guess, money in the bank. How did God answer your prayer and what you wanted to do, Which, what he wanted you to do?
1: Well, and in my mind, again, the restlessness that God gives you, and waking up early in the morning, and reading and studying and praying and asking for guidance. Um, uh, I've I've read that you know that the truth needs to go out like the leaves of autumn, and the only way I knew it was how I described it is to try and get to the towns or the places where people are then confronted with information. So they need to get the information. And uh, other people do it through radio, like um, 3ABN. Uh, we chose to do it in literature in the form of leaflets to go to people's uh, letterboxes.
2: So we decided to buy a house on wheels.
0: <laughs> a house on wheels. <laughs> well, hold that thought. We're going to take a break now and give our listeners the opportunity to get the contact details of 3ABN Radio here at Morisset. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 024973-3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to our program, By the Word of Their Testimony. We've been listening to the testimony of Ben and Olivia Olson, who were describing the tough, uh, life-changing decisions they had to make due to the mandate, vaccine mandates and how God led them in their decisions. And Olivia, you were telling us just before the break that... Uh, God directed you for a house on wheels. What does that mean? Tell us about that.
2: Um, We went to um, a caravan place and they said to us that we'll have to wait almost August um, or November. And it's like, oh, that's almost a year away from where we were. And then we decided, oh, what are we going to do? So we went back home. And we went to another f- a few caravan places, so we did our part by looking and so on, and we got to this one place was closed during the Christmas break, and we said, "Oh let's just go in here and um, the person said, "Well, there's two um if you want, um, we can sell either the one or the other and on that same day we could we f- found um, a caravan that was what we wanted, and um, that's how God helped us
0: I-, I think it's important putting context in here too. New South Wales had been in lockdown, so everyone yes. was buying caravans because they wanted to go, and you couldn't travel overseas in aeroplanes, so people were buying caravans.
2: And ordering it. A- and the
0: backlog on getting a caravan was six months a year.
2: Yes.
0: And you got Was it a cancellation, I think you mentioned to me?
2: Yes, something. that Yeah, it was a cancellation
1: that came through, and we were there at the right time, at the right date, mm. and uh, we put, put a deposit down, and we took it from there. Wow.
0: So you headed off to the outback to do the ministry that you believe God's led you to do. How do you find uh, the the country people you said are are more laid back, uh, more able to talk? What's on their mind? Tell us about some of the encounters you had when you've been speaking to some of the country folk.
2: Um, there was a few. Um, you, you get to places where you've got um, just um, fences and dogs and stuff, but most of the people that we met was in the caravan park itself. So um, people that are like-minded that want to take the vaccination, um, that's been travelling all over, and um, yeah, we have, um, met we three couples. Three couples um, and
1: in, in the caravan and
2: they Mm. came over and sat with us and they asked about the second coming. and So we gave them uh, information about Jesus' second coming and um, how God loves us and care for us and stuff. And most of them are still in contact with us.
1: Give them a great controversy or steps to Christ and Mm. discuss uh, salvation and soon coming for Christ. Um, So, yeah, you have great opportunities to discuss these Mm. uh, important matters with people. Do you find that people have last day events on their mind at the moment? Yes, yes.
2: Definitely. Some people
1: do, others don't. You mm. can diff- It's as if there's uh, also a great divide as well. Mm. So if you were to give advice to anyone who was
0: um, in that sort of crossroads of what do I do, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to get out there and do full-time ministry and maybe sell up and do ministry like you are?
2: I would say um, pray about it ask God first um, because God doesn't the hand is not always doing the same work as the foot is doing um, each one's got his own um, work cut out for him and God will use some people for different things so pray about it and use First um, Peter 5-7 He says cast all your cares on him for he cares for you
1: mm Something that brings it uh, uh, to my mind in reality is, like Daniel, he purposed in his heart. So if you've got a purpose in your heart, God will lead you and you stand firm on your belief and God will help you, he will guide you, he will give you the, the uh, I guess, the, the calmness to move forward in faith. And you'd recommend
0: move forward? Yes. Always move forward in faith. In faith. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you both today. So thank you for coming along to the the Morissette studio. And it's amazing to see how God has led you both uh, in three countries. And we're glad you're with us. Well, listen, that's all we have time for. I want to thank you for joining with us today on By the Word of Their Testimony. And do join us again next time. And God bless.